So the doctrine of Christ, obtaining a remission of your sins, there's a number of scriptures that I want to go with, and we probably will do more than just the ones that are showing up here on the PowerPoint. But we do know there's lots of traditions that people have. Think about the circumstances into which the Savior was born. As he became an adult and started his ministry, there were now those who were in charge of the church, who were the established religious leadership, and they had built themselves laws and customs and traditions for everything that they did, thinking that everything would be happening. We are right with God because we can give reasons for everything that we do, and we have to ask ourselves, is one saved? by these performances and by these laws, by the law of Moses or by all of the other codes which ended up getting built around the law of Moses itself. There's things that will help us simplify it. The purpose that I have in doing this is to preach a sermon unto myself and everybody else that I know and love. There's pitfalls of being convinced of our own righteousness. And we already mentioned a little bit, be Think of the Jews in the times of Isaiah or Jeremiah. I even think specifically about Lehi in the Book of Mormon. First Nephi chapter one, we consider the following. The city of Jerusalem is one of the most powerful cities in the entire world. There's a great history of prophets and prophesying and scriptures among them. Temple worship is happening day and night. One might reasonably think to themselves that this city is impenetrable to foreign enemies. Surely God is happy with us. But all was not well in Zion. Many prophets were sent out among them. Lehi heard one of them, and it pricked him in his heart as he recognized words that were being spoken by the power of the Holy Ghost. Lehi separated himself, and he began to ask, what is happening? He called upon his maker with all of his might. An event happened by which a pillar of fire showed in front of him. He saw and heard many things. He was overcome by the spirit. He barely made it home to his own house afterwards, and the Lord wasn't done with him. He cast himself down on his bed, being overcome with the spirit, and the Lord took him up again and gave him his prophetic mission. After Lehi became a witness through revelation and vision of the ministry of the Savior Jesus Christ, An angel came to him, showing him a book and said, Lehi, read from this. What did it say? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I like to remind us that triple whoa, because there is no good, better, or best in the Hebrew language, but they give repetition for emphasis. Triple whoa was being pronounced upon the city and upon the nation. What nation? How could it be our nation if we think of ourselves in 1 Nephi chapter 1? If we have temple worship going on day and night, we have all kinds of prophets. We have all kinds of performances. Why is it that destruction is imminent. It filled Lehi with a great desire for the welfare of his own people. And he went out and he taught, not knowing that the Lord had more in store for him. We may have more to discuss regarding that, but all was not well. The pitfalls of being convinced of our own righteousness. Think of the attitude of of Lehi's own sons. When they had already departed Jerusalem, being told by a prophet of a father filled with the spirit that Jerusalem would be destroyed. But Laman and Lemuel, they rebelled. They were raised in that environment with self-righteous people convinced of their own righteousness. Laman and Lemuel said to to Nephi, and we know that the people who were in the land of Jerusalem were a righteous people, for they kept the statutes and judgments of the Lord and all his commandments according to the law of Moses. Wherefore, we know that they are a righteous people, and our father hath judged them. Not only were they angry, Laman and Lemuel were angered to the point 
of homicide. Think about Lehi himself. When he preached, they would mock him in public and plan his assassination in private. We see the same pattern in the prophet of all prophets, Jesus Christ. When the people are convinced of their own righteousness, they mock the Savior in public and plan his assassination in private. Think about the Zoramites upon the Ramiumptum. What a great word. Four syllables, Ramiumptum. Yep, four syllables. As they would go upon their tower, meet once a week. They would offer a prayer, holy, holy God, thank you for making us better than everybody else. Some of their specific words. The apostate Zoramites would say, but thou art, thou God are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thou hast elected us that we shall be saved. Whilst all around us are the elected to be cast off by thy wrath down to hell. For the which holiness, O God, we thank thee. And we also thank thee that thou hast elected us, that we may not be led away after the foolish traditions of our brethren, which doth bind them down with a belief in Christ, which doth lead their hearts to wander far from thee, our God. And we thank thee, O God, that we are a chosen and a holy people. There's a form of worship. There's a form of righteousness. There's a form of calling upon God. Some of the earmarks we might take note of is that the Zoramites would not speak of God again until they gathered again to be seen and heard of men and once again offer the same prayers. Holy, holy God, thanks for making us better than everybody else. Everybody else is going to hell, but we're saved and we know it. We are to take inventory and ask, do we fall into any of the same category? Well, what do we need that we might obtain a remission of our sins? First, we must recognize that we need saving. Some of my favorite podcasts that I found on the Doctrine of Christ website from Malia Bond regarding the Old Testament and the teachings of Adam and Eve in the garden. There's some principles that are worth us recounting here to recognize how we need saving. I love starting with Adam and Eve, and I recognize when King Lamoni in the Book of Mormon, Alma chapter 18, is about to learn the fullness of the gospel, it starts with Adam and Eve, where Adam having descended down from his celestial home, being given a partner and a helpmeet in Eve in a terrestrial perfect garden as far as this earth is concerned, and falling once again after heeding the voice of the serpent, Lucifer, in partaking of the fruit, fell again and was cast out of that perfect garden. The voice of the Lord called out to them from the garden, asking for them to come back. Instructions were given from that voice. Adam built an altar, began offering sacrifice, shedding the blood of a perfect animal. And after many days, an angel of the Lord came unto Adam, asking him, Adam, why is it that you offer sacrifice? And Adam said, I don't know, but I was instructed. I would point out, he began exercising faith. He recognizes true instructions in a performance, not knowing the full meaning of it yet. And the Lord in his mercy would send servants to teach him the greater meaning. What you are doing, Adam, in the shedding of blood represents the Savior who will shed his blood and atone for the sins of all mankind. And Adam is taught the process by which he is redeemed from his fall, having left his celestial glory behind, having left the terrestrial Garden of Eden, and now being cast into the lone and dreary wilderness 
following the voice of the Lord until he himself is redeemed. We're going to get into more of the specifics which lead to that. First, we need to recognize what attitude are we to have if we are to obtain a remission of our sins? We think about Laman and Lemuel saying, we know that the people of Jerusalem are righteous people. We think of the Zoramites who say we're so righteous and we're saved while everybody else is going to perish around us. What is the calling we are to have if we are to obtain a remission of our sins? I think of King Benjamin. Some things to remember regarding those who are prophets of God. In whatever condition they are, we know that someone is a prophet when they speak by the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost. King Benjamin, in his old age, he addresses his people, letting them know, I can answer with a clear conscience before God to this day. And King Benjamin lets them know, my whole frame trembles because of my old age. I can't stand up. And yet he's strengthened by the Lord. And what does he say? The angel of the Lord visited me last night. And this is the message from the angel of the Lord. An authorized servant of Jesus Christ, a witness of Jesus Christ, even in his old age, with a body which did tremble, he spoke words by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, speaking with the tongue of angels, having a message delivered to him. When this message was given, as he testified of Jesus Christ who would come more than 100 years later, the people were moved. And they show the attitude that we are all to have. The people of King Benjamin, they had viewed themselves in their own carnal state, even less than the dust of the earth. They all cried aloud with one voice saying, oh, have mercy and apply the atoning blood of Christ that we may receive forgiveness of our sins and our hearts may be purified. For we believe in Jesus Christ, the son of God, who created heaven and earth and all things who should come down among the children of men. I would give some other attitudes that we are to take. It is not easy to be humble in this way. We know that we live in a world where we value somebody with great confidence, maybe even great pride, seeming to be brimming with ability. We, would anybody put on a job resume as they're trying to get a bigger paycheck, I am a humble, lowly, and meek of heart. It's not what Babylon seeks after, yet we are commanded to have it. We think about the commandment for us to humble ourselves like a little child. An object lesson was given to me not too long ago as I asked Heavenly Father, how am I to be humble in a way where I re receive a remission of my sins? The Spirit brought to my mind only about a week earlier, my beautiful little five-year-old girl, a whole bundle of love. I believe she hurt her toe which in the grand scheme of things is very insignificant. I knew that the physical pain would be gone within a few minutes, yet she fell down and she called to her father saying, Daddy, will you please carry me? It filled me with a great outpouring of love to this precious little ball of love <laughs> that I have in my own home. And I could not resist, nor would I hold back, carrying her and give her the attention that she needs. We are to remember our own nothingness before God. Call out to him with the sincerity of a child, even though the time that we are in right now may be insignificant in the grand scheme of things. 
Yet our Father loves us with a perfect love and will carry us. I think of the attitude that we are supposed to have as expressed in one of the greatest chapters and expounding of the doctrine of Christ. As Nephi is teaching the process by which we become the sons and daughters of Christ, Nephi says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent, repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father, that you are willing to take upon you the name of Christ. The words I wish to point out again to us, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God. We find ourselves in very different circumstances. Probably most people on this call are living a very good life according to the standards of the world. I'm sure that many, if not most, if not all, have admirers who say, I'm grateful for the examples of these people that I know in my life. Yet, we have to recognize our own nothingness. It happens to all of us. So how are we to call out with no hypocrisy and no deception before God? I know at times, as I I will share my own personal journey. When I was 15, I had bad things going on in my life. I was definitely on a path that would have led to great heartache, being involved in certainly drinking and partying, but even low-level organized crime as I would steal from businesses at night. Got caught, and we put everything out there as far as talking to law enforcement Here's everything that we've been doing, even things which they would have never learned about. But I knew I don't have a testimony of God, that God has a church, that he has a plan. But I knew the lessons that I've been raised with from my youth. And I remember asking, Heavenly Father, are these things that I've been taught true? And I did not get an answer right away. I changed my habits. I changed my behavior. And I remember it was probably a month or two into this process before I recognized the voice of the Lord speaking to me and reminding me, Jacob, you have been feeling the spirit. You felt it since you made these changes. When I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me, I knew I could try to simply justify away what had happened, that it was my own mind, but I realized, no. I will be held accountable for this. I began the process of right then and there, well, let me change my life and let me do what I believe my heavenly father wants me to do. Something happened. I changed all of the habits that I had before. And by all outward observances, I was a righteous young man. We had moved to Southern California. I began going out with the missionaries every single day. And when I say every single day, I mean every day, hours a day, to the point they were so annoyed with me waking them up early that they gave me a key to their apartment. They didn't like me waking them up that early. I had wonderful young missionaries when I was 17, 18, almost 19 years old, who would challenge me to read the scriptures more, to learn the discussions that missionaries teach, how to have debates and discussions with others. But while I was doing this, as I read the scriptures, and especially the New Testament, coming to know the Savior Jesus Christ, feeling his spirit testify to me of the truthfulness that this man did walk upon the earth, that he's the Savior of all mankind, I became convicted of my own sins. I recognized I will never be worthy to live in the presence of this man. I knew that he was the Savior of all mankind. 
I didn't recognize it this way at the time, but as I look back now, Satan had planted into my heart the conviction, you will never be worthy. And I believed it. And I carried it upon my shoulders for more than two years, about three years, having never once said out loud, I've given up all hope that I will ever be redeemed. Redemption does not apply to me. Never once told my parents, never once told a church leader, a friend, or anyone else. My actions were built by the desire, maybe if I do everything that I can in serving and teaching and in being a missionary, perhaps when this life is over, I might live somewhere close enough where my family can come and visit. And that's the best that I can hope for. My Heavenly Father was mindful of me. Again, by all outward observances, I seemed like an enthusiastic, great young man serving God as best he can. I was convicted. I was absolutely convinced. I remember the day after I turned 18, receiving my patriarchal blessing, and among things pronounced there, I heard words from my Heavenly Father speaking directly to me from a servant of his seeking inspiration on my behalf. And I heard the voice of my Heavenly Father say very simple things, which I recognize directly from him. I am happy with the choices you have made in your life to this point. And then instruction regarding more things for me to do. And the insurance, the assurance that Jesus Christ has paid the price. That the opportunity for salvation is available to me. And for the first time in my life, I believed it. I felt the greatest weight. I didn't realize what a great weight I had been carrying until it fell off of me and a hope filled my heart that the atonement of Jesus Christ applies to me. There's times we must reach out with no hypocrisy and no deception, despite having that experience and other experiences which are sacred unto me. I find myself now convicted of my own sins. One need not suppose that I'm a great sinner, but I find myself being lazy, being slothful, not maintaining my mind disciplined the way that I need to be. And the voice of Satan comes and says, you are not worthy and you never will be. And I recognize it now. And I'll kneel down and I'll find an opportunity in privacy to call upon my maker and tell him I'm a sinner. You've blessed me with your spirit. You've cleansed me with fire before. I felt to sing the song of redeeming love, and yet I have fallen back into my old ways. Will you please take me now? Will you please cleanse me through the blood of Jesus Christ and put me back to work? And I'll feel the cleansing power, and I'll ask Heavenly Father, will you please send a missionary experience my way? And I'll go through the process of finding out what assignment he may have for me. I would like to point out something very simple. We spoke at the beginning here that in the days of the Savior Jesus Christ and also in the days of Lehi, there was great laws about the laws that were created, all kinds of observances and volumes regarding everything that any righteous follower of God is supposed to do, when really the instructions are much more simple. There's certain things we need to recognize, and it is expressed beautifully in the tree of life 
dream that was given to Lehi. At the beginning, Lehi says, I saw a man, and he was dressed in a white robe, and he came and he stood before me. And the man dressed in a white robe spake unto me and bade me follow him. And it came to pass that as I followed the man in the white robe, I beheld myself that I was in a dark and dreary waste. An example was happening. Lehi put his confidence in following somebody else, somebody who seemed holy and somebody who called out to him saying, Lehi, follow me. And it led Lehi into a dark and dreary waste. Lehi continues, after I had traveled for the space of many hours in darkness, I began to pray unto the Lord that he would have mercy upon me according to the multitude of his tender mercies. It was not until Lehi recognized that he was a dark and dreary waste, there is no escape, that he called upon the Lord in faith. As he called upon, as he called upon the Lord in faith, he was shown the path which leads to the tree of life. And I would remind us what this means. If we believe that we're going to follow a set of observances like the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Jews of old, or whether in our day we have this manual or that manual, we have this program and dozens of different ways of keeping ourselves upon the hamster wheel, doing things that seem good that other people would praise us for and even admire. It is not what leads to a remission of our sins. The iron rod, think of the song, the iron rod is the word of God. We mistake what that means far too often. We think it is the scriptures, the word of God. Well, we do know the scriptures do contain the word of God as men and women speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. But what does it mean for us individually, personally, to hold to the rod? It means that we hear the voice of Jesus Christ speak directly to us. What we are to remember. As Nephi reminds us that we must press forward with the steadfastness of Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men, what does it mean to feast upon the word? It means that once we start to hear the voice and follow it, that is what puts our hands upon the rod. And continuing, therefore, is what keeps us on the path. So how is this going to turn into a remission of sins? There's an event that is meant to happen to all of us. For those who have been on these calls before, we remind each other and help each other in the path that leads us to receiving the first comforter, the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. Think about the title page of the Book of Mormon, the quote from Joseph Smith, and I told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the keystone of our religion, that a man would, would draw closer to God by abiding by its precepts than by that of any other book. I draw upon the encounter of the Nephites with the Savior Jesus Christ after his resurrection, as Jesus Christ taught them. Many things he taught them, and because of our mortal state, considering ourselves as if we were the Nephites there at that time, he recognized that we are weak. And Jesus said unto them, Go ye unto your homes, ponder the things I have said, and ask of the Father in my name that ye may understand and prepare your minds for the morrow. We may be at different times. I get the impression, knowing that I find myself in this situation, 
where I feel desires to draw into the Savior Jesus Christ. I have heard his word speak to me, simple instructions that I know I must do. And now I'm being reminded that the Savior says, go to your homes, pray to the Father in my name, and prepare for the morrow, because Jesus will come back and give us more instruction. Jesus came back and he taught many things among them. They felt themselves filled with desire. When Jesus had said these words, he himself also knelt upon the earth. And behold, Jesus prayed unto the Father. And the things which Jesus prayed cannot be written. And the multitude did bear record who heard them. And after, after this manner did the multitude bear record. The eye hath never seen, neither hath the ear heard before so great and marvelous things which we saw and heard jesus speak unto the father we know that we are left here with our mortal language which is weak when somebody who has communion with the father speaks we don't have words to describe it and they the nephites arose from the earth and jesus said unto them blessed are you because of your faith and now behold, my joy is full. And when Jesus had said these words, he wept. And the multitude bear record of it. And Jesus took their little children one by one and blessed them and prayed unto the Father for them. I'm inclined to point out what happens. The baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost happens when Jesus Christ pleads our case before the Father. This happened to the little children first. They are pure and innocent. The Nephites themselves, having been through the great destructions by which the land was cleansed of much of the iniquity, and the inhabitants who remained had been through the most humble of circumstances. It was the children who were prepared first to have Jesus Christ plead their case before the Father. And what happens when Jesus pleads their case? When Jesus had done this, he wept again. And Jesus spake unto the multitude and said unto them, Behold your little ones. And what happened next? As they looked to behold, they cast their eyes towards heaven. And they saw the heavens open. And they saw angels descending out of heaven, as it were in the midst of fire. And they came down and encircled those little ones. And they were encircled about with fire. And angels did minister unto them. It was about 2,000 souls or more who did see this. The children received it first because of their purity. The adults were in position to be able to continue to raise them and protect them in a way to where a higher order of the, of the gospel was being lived by the people. The disciples did pray unto the Father also in the name of Jesus, and it came to pass that the disciples arose and ministered unto the people. And these disciples ministered those same words which Jesus had spoken. Nothing varying from the words which Jesus had spoken. Behold, they knelt again and prayed unto the Father in the name of Jesus. And they did pray for that which they desired most, that the Holy Ghost should be given unto them. We know that we hear throughout the scriptures that God will purify us as if by fire. It is not just an allegory. It is not just symbol, symbolic, but a baptism that we are to receive. I want to bear my witness 
that for us to receive a remission of sins is incredibly simple for us to say, yet difficult for us to do. The process is to hear the voice of the Lord and follow it. What is it that happens when we do such things? We will be baptized by fire. We will be given prayers through revelation that we are to say, which leads us to receive that baptism of fire. In January of last year, I recognized a growing desire, an overwhelming desire to draw closer to the Lord. And there were instructions that I was given. And I knew perhaps there would be consequences in following these instructions, but I knew it was from him. When I made good on my end, not fearing what might happen to me, I remember the rest of that day, I felt happy. I felt my heavenly father was happy with me, and that was enough of a reward for me. As I awoke the following morning, my alarm clock went off at 6.30 a.m., and I hit my snooze button zero times, which was not my habit. And as I popped up and out of bed, I said, good morning, heavenly father, because I felt as if he were standing next to me. And the spirit spoke to me saying, Jacob, kneel down. And I knelt down and the spirit says, Jacob, give thanks for this. And I give thanks. And the spirit says to me, give thanks for this. And I give thanks. And I feel a vibration start to happen throughout my body. And it intensifies with each thing that I am to give thanks to my God for. My body begins to vibrate. And then I felt the level of preparation. And the spirit says to me, ask for this. And I ask for it. And the spirit says, ask for this. And I ask in a row, one after the other. And the vibration became so intensified that I would think any outside observer would see my body shaking and quaking. I felt something so marvelous start until the spirit says, end in the name of Jesus Christ. My prayer from what I remember, because it was not my words, but given to me at the moment that I was to pray for it. All of the character flaws, which I need to overcome, the sins for which I could not overcome by myself. I was told to ask for forgiveness of it and to be cleansed of it. For the course of the next five and a half days, I felt the miracle of all desires to sin being ripped away from me. It was gone. Every moment of the day, I felt a connection with my Heavenly Father where I could hear his voice speak to me. As I have asked, Heavenly Father, was that my baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost? It was not. It was a preparation. Many things begin to stick out. My emphasis to all of us here is to begin the simple process of asking Heavenly Father, please let me hear your voice through the Spirit. And I covenant with you to follow it. That is the process by which we place our hands upon the rod of iron. That is the only process by which we will make it through the mists of darkness, which we recognize are in greater abundance now than any time that I've ever seen before in my life. It is the process by which we will be led to being redeemed of our sins, that the water baptism, which we may have gone through, symbolizing our willingness to enter into the new and everlasting covenant of offering our broken heart and contrite spirit, we may have an inspired prayer revealed to us and receive that baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. I wish to end with my testimony that I know the Savior Jesus Christ lives. I feel a desire to serve him every day. I find myself grateful 
for opportunities like this to share a testimony and to share the scriptures. And I do remember quite vividly, we live in a day and age to where anything that we can think of, there's multitudes of digital searches, which will bring the scriptures or other inspired sayings to our eyes and to our minds at any time. We are to prayerfully take advantage of that. Most importantly, we are to listen to and follow the voice of the Spirit until we are taught the steps to be sealed to Christ and redeemed of our sins. I appreciate you paying attention, and I bear, this, I bear witness of the principles which I've shared to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.